Welcome to the Unstructured Podcast. In this episode, I talk to performance apparel design leader and former pro snowboarder, J.J. Collier. From snowboard to sewing machine to leading design for brands like Solomon, RLX by Ralph Lauren, Spider, and more, J.J. and I talk about what it takes to design high-end, high-performance gear and how to channel your passions into designing an authentic life. I'm Michelle Rose, and this is Unstructured. This episode was brought to you by Structure Society, the community for creators in art, design, and music. For almost a decade, Structure has brought together creatives from across the industrial, apparel, graphic, and sound design industries, building professional relationships, creating a platform for knowledge sharing, and raising the bar of product creation. From live events and workshops to publication and podcasting, Structure continues to evolve to build the strong creator community needed to craft our future. Find us at struktursociety.com and subscribe to our Substack at structuresociety.substack.com. Why does your dad's upbringing get so emotional for you? Oh, it's just kind of this unbelievably tragic 30s. You know, he's born in 34. And oh, yeah. Lost his mother in wow. the 40s, you know, or in the late 30s. Dads didn't take four kids. And so the kids were taken away from the dad and my grandfather basically like imploded, you know, and just this tragic idea of my dad. Sometimes he's with his brothers most or, and his sister. And then most of the time they're not. And, and, you know, sometimes it was good. Sometimes it was terrible. His stories are unbelievable, but he'll sit there and laugh telling them to you. Cause he's like, he just can't believe how crazy some of the stuff was. Yeah. But he decided to, you know, rise above it, go yeah. to the boys club in Charlestown mass and start boxing. So he could deal with the toughs in the neighborhood. And like, then it's Bowdoin college and then it's the army and then it's Vietnam and then it's airborne ranger green beret. Um, so that we could let's do a whole second podcast on me trying to live up to like the ninja in my life who I adore and love so much and respect so much. Um, wow. My parents are awesome. Um, but yeah, my dad's story is, is pretty unbelievable. His um, experiences are crazy, but to sit down with him, you know, mm-hmm. expectations were very, very high. It's probably part of the reason why I mentioned being a bit of a square earlier. You know, I like yeah. it was for me, it was, it was uh, it certainly living up to some level of expectation, even though it was mostly unspoken. We just, you know, we love the guy and we want to, want to, want to show well. Mm, so great. <laughs> it's so great. So many of us kind of deal with like um, our, our parents or, you know, issues of like mm, anger. Mm, yeah. It, it's always nice to hear the stories of, you know, somebody else's difficulty and, and you're respecting that you're, you're feeling yeah. that, 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 because I can tell also from what you've been able to do that, your parents were really, like I said, supportive, you know, trying to be that, you know, I've got a you know, son who's 11 and like trying to let him be who he is and support and give him experiences, yeah. un- you know. Un- un- unbelievable there. I mean, jo- you know, it, theoretically, you look at my dad's resume, it's like, I should be going to West Point or something. And like, <laughs> no, there should be this 
like Forrest Gump, there should be this legacy of like, I have to go and now be a lieutenant colonel and, you know, be go, go airborne. And instead, no, my parents were both outstandingly supportive and just wanted us to be who we wanted to be. Um, and, you know, my mother is like this, and I've got these amazing pictures of her in the seventies wearing my dad's fatigue shirt, you know, tied at the waist. And I'm like, these things mattered. Like they impacted me. She saw things and feels things in fashion, you know, just taking crazy chances. Um, I remember she bought these crazy bole sunglasses that were tiny, like these weird little tiny, like something you'd wear in a tanning bed. And I'm like, come on, mom, with the glasses. And then Sean Palmer shows up wearing the same, you know, that Ace Tahoe snowboarder I mentioned, yeah. legend, wearing the same glasses a month later in the magazine. I'm like, all right, you get a hall pass on that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, your mom, she, you... she always saw the Matrix before before anybody else. Yeah, your mom, your your parents have something there that really impacted. Big time, your, huge your design. Oh, yeah, that's so great. Good stuff. I want to dig in then about. Um, I want to kind of go back to the sewing machine. Yeah. And um getting that first job, like deciding that, you know, I'm a designer now. Right. Yeah. And how did you get how did you you just decide that you get a sewing machine, you start to do stuff, you decide you're doing this and you get a job with Solomon who, you know, when you hear that now you're like, "Wow, that's a big deal." Yeah. Yeah, maybe not as much back then. It was, yes, it was. They're smaller, but they're they're different now. But how did how did that happen? How did you get that job? Well, the the it go just to go back just a little. So we had wrapped up. Um, I, I was again. I'm trying to leave. You know, I'm done snowboarding. I'm retired. Um, we moved back to North Carolina. I attempted to go to school. We Shannon and I we I moved back to North Carolina for like to to hopefully go back get get some in state tuition and go to school. And I'm 28, you know, it's like, am I really going to go back to school? But I tried and we're in there somewhere. I'm standing around J crew working retail, you know, going to school part-time, no money. And I'm like, forget it. I'm going to drop everything. Shannon was working for ESPN. So we, you know, she's making a a little salary. We could get by if I Mm -hmm. dropped my part-time hourly job at J crew, we might survive, you know, (laughs) And so I know, but I did, I dropped everything and I sewed for like six straight weeks. I imagine, you know, kind of envisioned a collection and I had a fashion show and then basically opened for business the next day, John Collier designer, you know, got a little bit of press and people started calling and I started to get a little bit of business from people who, you know, I want this thing, I can't find it. Um, And so I started making one-off garments on my little home machine in Charlotte. What were you making? What what did you start selling your first fashion thing? stuff? The first thing I did was a pair of pants for a, a guy. The next thing was the odd, uh, you know, I did a, a few dresses here and there, a few skirts. Um, and the last thing I did, like, and Solomon called uh, in, in the fall of, of 99. Um, and I was sitting there selling a, a, a wedding dress, which would ultimately be my last um, project for that <laughs> particular era. Mm-hmm. Um, when they called and started inquiring about, you know, wanting to find their way in apparel and, and find their way in a way that was as iconic as the monocoque ski and the rear entry boot, you know, something that, that shifted thinking in the market. Okay. So you're in North Carolina. Yep. Where were they based? Well, there was a Solomon designs, the Solomon design center in Boulder was where the call came from. Okay. They're based in Annecy, France. 
Did they know something about you from? So this is where snowboarding sort of circled around. So I I don't know who threw my name in the hat first, but my name came into their sphere two or three different ways, as I understand it. Uh Um, uh, Possibly from my, like my good friend and like top mentor, Brian Johnston, who was at Solomon North America at the time, possibly from people who knew me from spider Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, and then from one other friend from North Carolina, potentially who was, who was doing some doing footwear design for them. So, yeah, so it, it catalyzed the show was the catalyst initially where I went to bed, a snowboarder with a sewing machine and mm-hmm. woke up the next day in my mind uh, as a designer, you know, cause I was open for business. Yep. So that was the, that was the switch. Um, but yeah, Solomon was, that was a game changer. Yeah. Cause they were all hard goods. And they know, had been, yeah, here. And so, and people don't always know this, but I've known that with some other brands as well, when they start to want to go into apparel. Yeah. And it's a whole other ball game. Oh, yeah. Know, doing an apparel manufacturing business from hard goods. And so, mm-hmm. and having people who can do that and fit that and whatnot. Yeah. Is a big deal. So, well, and it was, we, you know, it's so funny. We thought it was the market was saturated then. It's like, you know, and these were, these were, again, Michelle, these were words I did not know how to use, but, you know, um, we were looking around and, and of course I was thrilled, um, and, and sort of famously now call your family lore. I was busy with my little projects and said, thanks anyway. Um, and my new wife at the time, um, asked me to please call them back and see if I can maybe get the job first before I turn them down. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, they they were looking for for you. They were offering you the job, and you were saying no. Well, they weren't quite offering me the job yet, but I got a call from this guy Rudolf Eret. I'd never really heard a Swiss German accent like this before, so I was trying (laughs) my best to like understand what he wanted. But the message was they had not found their way yet. They had a great team put together. They knew they wanted something that was new. Um, It couldn't just be another Burton or another North Face, but they hadn't been able to pin that down yet, and so. But I literally did say, well, it sounds really exciting, but I'm doing fashion stuff over here. So, you know, best of luck. (laughs) What a dope. And so so Shannon was like, hey, um, let's play this a little differently. Um, And so we did. And so, yeah, so they flew me to Boulder and I I did these epic drawings, like for me, really, really different drawings than I'd ever done before. Mm. And um, yeah, it went went well. What an opportunity. Oh, my God. It was just insane. Yeah. Like, um what did, I mean what did what was that like for you then there um you know because like like uh, talk a little bit about the state of the industry we're talking what they hired you in 1999 I moved I moved uh, to, back to Colorado oddly enough in October 99 to okay. um to to start at Solomon okay and what was the state of the industry like and um you know, what was the state of Solomon I mean you're you're in the U.S. office you know it's yeah. it's a it's a brand that's based in in Europe Um, and yeah, so what was the industry like at that time? Kind of give a little snapshot. Well, I mean, good question. Remember I'm, I'm an ex pro snowboarder focused on Vogue magazine at the time. Like Mm -hmm. I don't use like I, and I've been a sales rep for, you know, for years at this point, I'd had three winters and two summers, or maybe the opposite, I think two winters and three summers as a (laughs) ride bonfire, Yakima camelback. Like I was in outdoor stores, talking to owners and buyers Mm -hmm. going to sales meetings. So thank God I had that little bit of, 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 um, understanding and empathy, I suppose Mm -hmm. the empathy took form later, but just at least some understanding of kind of how things work. There's a calendar and there's sales samples and, you know, stuff like that. 
but like, otherwise I was green as grass. So to come in and talk about the market, um, I, I don't know if North Face was hot or flat at the time. Um, I don't know if they were a reference in 2000 or if they were having a moment or not. I, I Burton, you know, how was Burton doing in 2000? By then, Ride and all these other cool brands and Bonfire was nipping at their heels. Like people were doing really cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I could have sort of given you a spirit, a feeling of what I was seeing that I thought was interesting with like mm-hmm. you know, small brands that were coming up or whatever. But knowing what the ski wear market was like, um, I was... I was there to design it um, and bring new ideas to the table with an amazing team and with a very cool team of athletes. But I wasn't in the position where I am sort of now where I can really talk about not just what has been happening, but what I think will happen. Yeah. It's interesting to hear your take on it too, because it makes me transport and, you know, overlay. Where was I at that time? I went back to school myself at 28 and got my design degree. So I was in school about... Yeah, yeah. Oh, so cool. that I I did go back to school and and do that and then I started to study business around then and around yeah. that time um in early 2000 is when I got hired at Columbia Sportswear. I was just learning the industry myself and I know that right around the 2000 was when the North Face was almost going bankrupt. So they, That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. wondering if it was a dip. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of rebounded and I joined them in 2007 when they were on that up upswing. Yeah. yeah, Got Um, it. But, um, but yeah, so for me around that time, I was just learning the outdoor sports industry for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm always curious about where was everybody else? What was your experience and, and hearing? Because we were all just in it, you know, wherever, whatever point in time or wherever we were, I was in Portland at that time and, and we're all just experiencing it. So I love like hearing other people's stories of where they were and kind of putting together, you know, where we all were, because we've all crossed paths in these ways and overlaid at different brands um, and connected at different times and had interesting, I even had, um, you know, Janome sewing machines. I had a, a, I had a different sewing machine when I was growing up. But right around early 90s, I um, I was doing some of my own sewing and a Janome rep. His kids were in my martial yeah. arts class that I taught. Oh, no and he way. asked me to do some some stuff for some Janome ads and whatnot. And I actually did a video and I did it alongside a young guy who was a snowboarder who had a sewing machine in his van and he would make snowboard gear, you oh, know. And yeah, that was probably my first connection with somebody making snowboard gear around me. So, yeah. And well, and, and there were people doing amazingly cool stuff. Um, you know, obviously you mentioned Trent and Troy earlier. Twist was so ahead of its time and so iconic and awesome. Um, Troy and I were actually just talking about it yesterday. Just some of that, the early art in, 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 it was just so culturally yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, for its time period that it's kind of hard to imagine the stars aligning the way they did. But um, yeah. yeah, that was, it was really neat work being done. Yeah. The yeah. lifestyle and the culture are the big, are the, totally. are the, the things that that was all built around. And yeah. every time we talk about snowboarding, that's yeah. where, where we go with that. Um, I want to move into um, France now. Yeah. So France. you ended up going to France with Solomon. Yeah. Um, I mean, nine 11 was a big day, you know, and, and, oh. and that was something that I think impacted the leadership in France where they're like, okay, we don't know what's happening. Like, you know, the economy, all the stuff. And I think, so finally I, it was time to sort of 
call back some of the crew. Um, I think this is all accurate. Um, that okay, we're gonna you know grab a handful of team members from Boulder, shut that office for a number of different reasons, and 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 you know, luckily I was you know one of the folks chosen to go and keep the dream alive over there with what we had started in Boulder. Pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Got to uh, move into France with a four-month-old um, is really interesting. Recommend it to any or moving to a foreign country. France was actually, I mean, you can imagine how epic, um, how just unreal uh, it was to to be over there. It was just it was just the, one of my. I'd, I'd do it again tomorrow. Like I loved Annecy, but yeah. it, was, it was stressful to have like my a job that I absolutely loved and that I was that I protected tooth and nail. I, I, I needed it. You know, yeah. here I am going to be about to be a new dad. I really needed the job. Yeah. Nobody knew me from Adam. I'd launched one collection. You know, I, I didn't have much of a CV yet. So it was absolutely critical to me. Um, again, and just uh, grateful every day um, mm-hmm. for the Solomon experience and yeah. to get to extend it into, into NC was absolutely just so cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I bet your wife loved it. We really did. It's, it was a magical era. I would love to go back and tell my 32 year old self to chill the hell out, you know, like enjoy this dude. It's going to, you know, like everything's cool, but it was a weird time. You know, it was just post nine 11. It was freedom fries. It was idiots breaking their French bottles of wine on the ground because of whatever the hell was going on with the, you know, the UN or whatever. And, and, um, and Iraq, I guess at the time. So it was kind of a weird time, but the French people were just just so amazing to us. Like I, we had the most unbelievable experience there. Mm, That's great. And then, and then you're there and you're in France and you get an opportunity presented to you, a dream opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me, tell us about that. Well, I don't know. I'd been there about six months. I'm sitting there working away at my, my desk and my phone rings and it's a recruiter from Ralph Lauren. Yeah. So I had, you know, in my, my fashion dreams started, probably started with Armani, but really became real with, with Ralph when I really started to pay attention to a more natural inclination for me, like uh-huh. working for, 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 I didn't think of it as working for Polo. I thought of it as working for Ralph, you mm-hmm. know, here's mm-hmm. my, here, my real hero. Yeah. And so they called and it was the same sort of thing as Solomon almost. They're like, we've, we, we, you know, we, our Lex is very interesting to Mr. Lauren. Um, we sort of tried it one way. He wants to try it again. And we're trying to build a team and we see that there's a point of view at Solomon and we hoped you would have a conversation. And so I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm at my desk. Wow. So, and so grateful. So, so grateful to, to, and, and, um, and sort of loyal to Solomon. And here I am, the dream call comes Yeah. and I have to kind of say, I can't, right now. Sorry. I just got to France. Like I'm here for a, you know, a two year deal. I'm six months into it. Um, and so I was able to hold them. We, you know, we, we had a few conversations. I, I wasn't going to not pursue it, but I just couldn't pursue it right then. Yeah. And I don't know, I was able to hold it off for, I think about a year before they were like, okay, it's a little bit now or never. Cause we'd met, I'd interviewed Ah, mm -hmm. at this, by that point it kind of happened. Um, and so, and, you know, here again, you know, almost a two-year-old, Shannon's pregnant, 9-11's still very much on our minds, and I'm yeah. going to move everybody from from the Alps to New York City. Mm, okay. And that's... it was between that and Arcteryx. There's a whole different Arcteryx uh, early valence concept discussion there that I was having with uh, Jeremy Gard. Mm. And I just sort of had to, it was an impossible decision uh, between 
two dreams, you know, really, because Arcteryx had been such a, was so rad at the time. And this opportunity to launch Lifestyle with Jeremy was, was my other choice. Um, Wow. I, I had to go work for Ralph. Mm-hmm. The choice of this is a choice of riches here. Like when you oh when you have God. these out when you're like right at the beginning of your career and it's it's yeah. burgeoning, yeah. And they come calling. I had that as well around the similar time, you know. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, and you have to make choices that are hard. Never um, taking it for granted. Yeah, it was a hard choice. But oh my God, talk about a first world problem. I mean, it was, I was so grateful. I couldn't even believe that these were my options at the time. There was a third one too, but those two were the ones that were, where I was down to like having to sit there on the hillside in France and just distill it, you know, for, for a while, like, what do I do here? Yeah. Yeah. And, and your family had to follow you around with this. Yeah. Yeah. All of those things were important. And, but ultimately like I'm, I had to go to, I had to go to, to Polo. Yeah. So you don't regret the choice. Oh, certainly. No, certainly not. And I'm very, I'm very happy to see what has ultimately happened with those original ideas that, you know, Jeremy was talking to me about in 03, you know, about mm-hmm. what he wanted to do with lifestyle. And um, I'm, I hope it's gone the way they wanted it to, but um, yeah, I had to go and do something else. Yeah. It's so you did. What was it like to meet Ralph? It was amazing. I met him the first time I, I flew to New York, which which I think was a good indicator of the fact that they really were interested in me. The fact that they were right getting Ralph time is hard. And so I guess I was definitely on a calendar. I don't think it was as off the cuff as it kind of looked in the moment now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it must have been a bit a bit planned because getting Ralph time is is hard. Um, even when I worked there, we didn't get that much Ralph time. Um but when we did, it was always, it was solid gold. But to meet him that first day was just un- unbelievable. Why do you think you got it? I mean, was it where RLX, where was RLX at that point in time? And what were they wanting to do with it? So RLX it really had been a wholesale, it had been mostly a wholesale program. Okay. So it was, and, you know, so they had reps, they had a mountain bike team, they had a thing, they had some really neat product. Mm. When I came back, when, when I came in, it was the beginning of sort of a phase two to go brick and mortar, completely control the story, pure statement across mm-hmm. the board, no other brands mixed up in there where the Navy's not right, mm-hmm. you know, like, or whatever. <laughs> like you just, you, there was no way to feel successful with a Ralph Lauren brand like that going wholesale and not having any control over it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was all about taking the control back and making a, you know, making a, a brand new statement at Ralph Lauren stores. Yeah. So that's why you got Ralph time. Because he needed to. I think it was very important to them to, 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 yeah, to um, yeah. secure the creative they wanted for that next phase. Yeah. yeah. That's when you know some things are riding on your shoulders. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And the, and the, a bit like Solomon, the ideas that I was able to share later for what I wanted to do, um, we took some of them one to one. Like, so mm. there are, you know, um, there are things in the Rivoli like coffee table, you know, retrospective of, of, of his work that I, that I did, you know, yeah, that I did that basically we took over one-to-one from my, my hand sketches. So it was really exciting. Nice. Nice. It gave you a, a lot of, um, a lot of trust in what you were doing. Yeah. And that carte, well, we mentioned that the carte blanche sort of thing earlier. I mean, I had a tremendous team, tremendous leadership, lifelong friends, unbelievable experience. And like I said, I was learning a lot, but some of the raw ideas really struck a chord. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we fine tuned them, but in some cases it was damn near one-to-one, just like, here's what I want to do. And we did it. And then you had to live in New York while you were doing it. 
yeah. super different than every other place you'd been. Oh my God. It was just in with, ba- you know, with littles and Shannon pregnant, it was with, you know, with, with my son was two when we got there. And so, yeah, it was really challenging. Um, really challenging. Like I was just not wired for NYC. Um, and I did most, most of the time that I worked for Polo was remote. So most of the time that I spent, uh, in New York was by myself for oh, wow. you know wow. five days at a time, um, and, you know, flying back and forth from Boulder. Um, uh-huh back to authenticity. Like that was my spin. I'm like, guys, you want me to do this stuff? I need to be somewhere I can wear it. You know, we're doing the uniforms for Aspen. I'll be closer to Aspen, you know? So I, I worked mostly remotely for, for Polo the whole time I was there and that, oh my, it just made every, everyone's life better. Um, and I didn't like being gone all the time when the boys were little, but Mm -hmm. they were home and I was there. And when I was there, I could, you know, work around the clock and it didn't bother me. It was fine. So good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're great. Yeah. So this led to joining Spider. Yeah. For, you yeah. know, and, you know, you're talking like, we know Spider for high-end ski, which makes sense after RLX. We've talked about this. Yeah. Um, you know, being the athlete that knows the gear and whatnot. Um, you know the gear, you know high fashion now. Like, how how was this leap for you to go to Spider? Um, and was it hard? to leave RLX and go there. Like what? Yeah. Talk about this yeah, transition. It was, it was, it was hard. Um, it was hard because I loved my team and I loved what we were doing. I mean, working at Polo was really my dream job. I would be there. Are a lot of my colleagues who are still there. There are a lot of people who are 20, 25 year people at Ralph Lauren. And I'm not surprised. Yeah. It's a great place to work. You work hard, but it's amazing. I just need mountain roads and snowboarding on the regular basis. I need space. I like I, it, I love New York, but I'm not meant to live in New York. No big deal. Any more than New Yorkers are meant to live in Boulder and be bored to death. So, <laughs> so it's like, so about knowing yourself, man. Yeah, exactly. So let's just, let's, yeah. So, um, but, but like you mentioned earlier, you got to know when it's time to go. And I was starting to see this evolution five or six years of like formula one programs for Ralph, where we could do whatever the hell we wanted. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, it's time to time to turn that into some commerce. Mm-hmm. And so it was a little bit, okay, time to come back to New York. Uh, and that happened to coincide with me realizing that it probably wasn't my my brand anymore, or I, it was still my mm-hmm. brand because I was seeing an evolution toward, remember what I wanted to do was fashion. So mm-hmm. there was starting to be this opportunity to, to, I'd already started to do some work for black label. We had started to tiptoe around purple label. So mm-hmm. if I wanted to go back, it was probably an opportunity to have that fashion career that I wanted, but I was now I had, I had, um, big, well, I had a, I had a 15, 20 year plan I'd worked out already, you know, before even coming to New York. And that involved Boulder and racetracks and cars and mountains. And like, so, so the, the fashion, I had to choose between the fashion kind of career executive, like epic Ralph Lauren job that I wanted versus the lifestyle I wanted and chose lifestyle. You chose the lifestyle. And, and sorry to answer your question, lifestyle, that choice happened to coincide, not only with the right time to maybe leave RLX, but also when spider was, uh, uh, had a new management team and mm-hmm. you know, again, got wind of through friends from past. I think when I rode for them, I think it was my friend, Phil, who dropped my name in the, in the, in the hat initially, yeah. where it was like, you got to meet JJ. He's in Boulder. He's got the right CV for the, for the PE guys. Uh, and, uh, and it was a, and, and we 
also all happen to get along. So Tom again hired me to come and be the VP of product and design for Spider. Mm-hmm. And some epic product. You know. Well, we had a we had an amazing we really had an amazing run. Yeah. 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 And that was a a really strong time. I think when you were there, when were you you were there in the mid two thousands late. Um, yeah, t- um, t- late, I, th- I suppose it was December 09 to, uh, yeah, to 20, to July, 2015. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was B because, um, spider was always one that I looked to when, especially when I was learning ski wear in my earlier days as well, yeah. but always all the way through, you know, through my, uh, corporate career, which spanned up to about 2015 <laughs> until yeah. I went independent. Yeah. So, um, always love the gear, you know, always, I love the look the color palette's really bold. It's very aggressive. You know, it's really very rock and roll to me in a lot of ways, but it is very race car. You know, it is very. Well, it's near and dear to David. That's what the references are for the founder, you know, and and David wasn't there anymore, but I, I knew, I knew the DNA so well. And I think this is why Tom hired me. I'm like, I get it, Tom. Like I grew up wanting this stuff. I understand the aspiration. I understand the aesthetic and I understand not to fuck it up. Like mm-hmm. I will, I will bring you the new one. It's like when Porsche brings the new 911. I've made this analogy many times, you know, it's a 911, yep. like, right. you know, but it's also visibly the new one, you know, yep. no one has to tell you what it is. And so with spider, I kind of came at it that way. I'm like, I know how not to screw this up. I will, mm-hmm. this will be spider, but it will be visibly the new spider. And you have to have that attitude with it because it um, it can be really, it can either be very scary to try to reinvent yeah, what's right, good, sure. or yeah. it can be for some people very boring. Mm-hmm. You know, having had to reinvent a lot of classics for brands like the North Face for myself too. It's like, you have to have that right blend of, I can do this. I have ideas, yeah. right? It's like, I know this, but I have ideas to make it better. Yeah. And that's well, and let's, but no, don't, but the, the punchline though here though, you asked earlier, was it hard? And I turned back the, the clock 15 minutes. It was hard because I, I was a designer. Like that's it. I had had two people on my org chart, um, Eight barely at Ralph Lauren, very talented people who were like, yes, they reported to me, but they, you know, we were collaborative and didn't, it wasn't a classical management response, you know, uh, a relationship. Yep. I show up at Spider and I've got 25 people on my org chart all of a sudden, and they are under me. And like, so dealing with that whole thing and was, was absolutely the hardest part. And one that I wasn't, um, I was neither adequately prepared for it personally or, um, well, let's leave it there. I, I There are things about those early days that I wish I had known to do differently. And I, I either wasn't paying attention or I was too absolutely overwhelmed with making this first collection happen the way it needed to on an, on a, on an impossible timeline to stop and do what I should have done in, in the first few weeks, just in terms of the staffing thing. Yeah. Um, I think it worked out okay, but boy, learnings upon learnings. You know, I have an experience with that as well. And I think I find it interesting, especially in our, maybe it's like this in other industries as well, but having a very strong design management background, meaning management of a design process and product and a vision, not of a design team or people, 
the whole right. production team, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very different thing. And I think a lot of um, designers end up in those roles without being prepared. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. 100%. It's a different, it's a different type of skill set. Yeah, truly. And I've seen some people rise to the occasion and I've seen some people fall. Yeah. From that. Well, I think I did a bit of both there. I mean, yeah. I think there are definitely highs and lows where, um, you know, I've, I've joked around before about not being a particularly great manager historically in that way at that time. And, but being, I think, I hope quite a good mentor to people and, and, you know, being so grateful for my opportunities that when I saw opportunities for others where they were really had high capability and really had high, um, uh, drive and and critically had a good attitude um <laughs> i saw you know i would do whatever i could to make sure that that there were opportunities and and there were many of those at spider it was great what would you say hindsight that you know yeah because i've heard you talk about the, you know that difference between you know being a good mentor and managing um would you have anything hindsight to say like the difference between being a good manager and being a good mentor and um, maybe some things you could have done differently, or maybe just there's something else you prefer, you know? Well, this will be horribly embarrassing because I think anyone who's a good manager would, would, will listen to my answer and go, dude, really? Like you didn't do that. <laughs> I like, don't know. And they might so, have get some insights I, but, from it. But, but again, I think I made assumptions about what people knew about me which I don't think was enough, quite frankly, and knew enough to trust me. You know, um, we went, we, everything was so fast paced. Um, and it was just, it was a lot. And what I should have done was um, instead of slipstreaming into the social side of things and getting to know people in the way that I knew how to get to know them, I should have uh, taken a step back and said, you know, I'll catch you guys a little bit later, but next week I need to have one-on-ones with everybody, you know? And I don't, I'm not a power tripper at all. Ask anybody, but it, but in that role with that many people, it would have made sense to really sit down and do the, not the casual one-on-one at the trade show or the bar, but the really like, who are you? What do you want? Um, You know, tell me your story and, and get to know them really professionally instead of just, holy crap, ski industry, full throttle, let's go to ISPO. Um, yeah. you know, which is basically what it was. And so, and, and I don't, you know, and I'm sitting here, like, I don't think there was enough known about my, where I was coming from to understand why I had the role that quite frankly, a few other people thought maybe they were entitled to, or not entitled mm-hmm. to, sorry, that they would have wanted. And I was hired instead. And so you get off on a weird foot. Um, and you know, these were talented people, but there was a reason why I, why I got the gig. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah and so I'll- stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's actually really insightful because not only are you talking about, I mean, I'm gleaning things from this as well and thinking about my past experiences because I think many of us, there are a good handful of us, I'm sure, who've fallen into this and had this happen because you have companies that are are hiring you because they want, they need somebody to drive great product and sales and they need that piece. And that at that time tends to, tended to trump taking care of people. Um, it was still take care of your team. Yes, we want a strong team, but the first priority was always, we got to have to have great product. We have to have a lot of sales. I mean, trust me, I knew what I was being graded on. 
And I always tried to, I feel like I always took care of people, but just that fundamental first early foundation of, you know, manager or team member, like just initial setup was where I just didn't know how to do it. Right. Let's like, that's as simple as that, you know, and I, but I cared instinctively and fundamentally about the human. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have the skills yet to, to, to set up the, let's say traditional, um, relationship. And I, you know, I'm not really there to be a mentor. I became one because I, it's not what I'm hired for. I kind of, I became one because like I said, I care about the people, but I don't know if I left there any better uh, manager per se, but Mm -hmm. I learned how I learned a lot about what I wanted to do next. And I did, I did add those tools to my toolbox later, but I I do think think that the things that you just shared about, you know, the one-on-one getting to know them, but also sharing yourself, you know, um, that was a piece I probably left out as well. especially when I was managing a larger team of um, sharing more of, of myself and being more open. Absolutely. And so there's something to be said there. So people can see where you're coming from professionally. Yeah. And um, there's a more of an open exchange. I mean, I just, I just don't think um, a lot of, I remember my mentor and boss, she was saying that, uh, you know, just she goes, she had she had kind of taken away the management role for designers um, at Columbia Sportswear when she was there. But she said not very many designers are actually very good at being managers. And um, oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And I also just don't think they get the training, you know, and we don't. Yeah, we we don't. And and. And that's why earlier I said, let's leave it there because it's my responsibility. I knew I was going into a big job. I can't put it on anybody else that I didn't take a minute and go, okay, maybe I should talk to somebody who's managed 25 people before because I haven't, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't, I was moving from, you know, or not moving foot, but wrapping up work that I was doing to go and, and, you know, I was leaving for Ralph Lauren. I was moving into this new job and I'm getting a look at calendars going, wait, we got to do what? You know, where are you in the design phase and, and, and having concepts and things that I didn't want to adopt and having to like start from zero on a ridiculously short timeline. So I'm not too hard on myself about it. Um, I, I, but I am certainly capable of recognizing how I would like to have done it differently. Yep. I'm right with you on it. This episode was brought to you by the Functional Fabric Fair powered by Performance Days, the premier trade show for performance fabrics and materials. Since 2018, the Functional Fabric Fair has been providing a unique, highly curated trade show experience in the performance materials space, aimed at providing customers with the very best options to create the highest level products in the market. Having a strong focus on education and sustainability, the Functional Fabric Fair is committed to tackling the biggest issues we face today in regards to product manufacturing and our environment. With five shows throughout the year from Portland to New York City to Munich, you're sure to find what you need at the Functional Fabric Fair and Performance Days. You know, around 2020, it was a huge amount of shifting, just a barrage of shifts for everyone, right? And that are it's still going on. It just it seems to be no end now. Um, you started shifting a lot before that. So around 2016, um, you left Spider to head up design at Triple Lot Design here in the Bay Area, and in a role that 
I almost took, it was a different role because there are different roles for different people um, that I almost took and for my own personal reasons, really wrestled with and um, chose to go a different direction. Um, and But I love the company and I love the people. Um, and I actually really think that the role that you took you were the right person for it and you were the right person for what they needed. And that that's how I love seeing how things work out for that. And then eventually that's how you and I got to meet and connect was, was through that. Um, What was behind that change and what was it like going to a brand that was, um, you know, still technical, um, but more tactical than like snow sports and fashion oriented. Yeah. Well, um, if we look at 2015 real quick, um, we were just starting to see the beginning of direct consumer, you know, mm-hmm. of e-com. I mean, Ralph Lauren had been doing it for years. It was one of, it was their biggest door, for example, like e-com was really important. Oh. But, so that was starting to happen. Um, brands were starting to just barely dabble, right? But at the same time they were starting to dabble, sports authority goes out of business, you know, right. like- we're looking at our other big players and going, okay, if sports authority can die, then what else can happen? You know, so I'm like looking at big picture, the stuff I wasn't paying attention to when I was 30 at Solomon, I was now, you know, really, really attached to because I, I owned my business at Spider in such a, a different sort of way yeah. that I was just looking at the world and the market and, and, you know, the bottom line differently. And so it would have made sense to go from a SVP of design at Spider when I left to like use that and flip over into Nike or maybe Under Armour at the time or whatever. Mm-hmm. And instead it made sense for me. I'm looking around and I, you know, I met Brett and I was having this conversation. I started looking at triple Ott and I'm looking at what appeared to be the, a, a perfect example of not only the new model of what was happening in the world and, mm-hmm. you know, where it was like made in USA weekly drops you know, knowing a lot of your customers' names, you know, like it was wild. And then I'm online looking at it going, oh my God, I've never seen men respond this way to a brand or talk to each other about what they're wearing. Like it was totally different. So much passion. So much passion. And then, you know, and then to meet Brett, like Brett's just insights on things are so, as you know, other, they're just really one of a kind Yeah. Um, that he, you know, he really got me. Like I was like, okay. And, and, and some of the other partners are just, they're just amazing. The other key partner at the time, I should say, solid humans, you know, people I really could see myself working with. And it was an opportunity to come in and be a chief design officer and be a part of a business in a way that I hadn't been. The the big part is the made in USA. Okay. So, so here I've had for 20 years, basically, or not 20 years at the time, sorry, 12, 13 years, carte blanche, like to maybe not always creatively, like we certainly have a ton of freedom at, at Ralph Lauren mm. because of the era spider had a ton of freedom. As long as I was nailing the markets and the reps were happy globally, but like mostly carte blanche from a production standpoint where it's like, if I could dream it, I could make it. And, yep. and, and we did a lot of that at spider, like trying to come up with new, arguably too new, too often stuff at spider led me to go, you know, it was a lot of lost sleep. And it was a result of my, you know, temporary psychosis from sleep deprivation coming up with a lot of really rad ideas. Um, but if you don't have the factories to do them, you can't do them. And we were asking unbelievable things of those factories and 
bless them that came through for yeah, us. The resources at those big were, were insane, bottomless. And you do, you think it, you can do it. Yep. And so I get to, to, um, to, to, to triple odd and the carte blanche comes to a screeching halt because we're doing <laughs> things stateside and things that I had completely taken for granted in every way I was being pushed back on. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, are you kidding? This is elbow articulation. What's the big deal? Yeah. Right. And, and, and in fact, it was hard and it was hard to adjust to that. And, and, but once we did, and once the factories gave a little, and I gave a little, you know, stuff like that, and they saw that we were doing something genuinely new and interesting that did push them and could be good for all involved. Like we wound up coming to some of the, some of the, I mean, clearly the best purest product I've ever done. My favorite, Mm -hmm. some of my most favorite product. I have favorites from every brand, of course, but like that, those, those restrictions, the constraints of of us made at the time led us to like beautiful lasting really really pure product that i'm super proud of and so the end of carte blanche actually was an amazing beautiful thing in my life as opposed to a a challenge it turned into something really really awesome well it's like the energy shifts into another direction as soon as you don't have one thing you open up in another area right yeah and i know with 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 triple lot it's an it's an interesting thing because it can take a longer time or more prototypes more attention to getting the product just right but you can drop it more often you know that directness to the customers and direct feedback it is a very different business model oh that was insane i mean when when did i ever had feedback aside from after stuff got to the store or you get, you get sell-in feedback, but very rarely like finished product. What did a consumer think on those historical wholesale timelines? And meanwhile, yeah, you're right. You get to triple lot, you drop it on Friday and you get feedback on Facebook in public as soon as the first customer gets their box, like, holy moly. And generally speaking, it was really good feedback, but talk about like change for, for, for me, like, Probably very brutally honest feedback. Well, it was. And like, like, like I said, luckily, most of the time, the feedback was really, was really great. People were excited and it was like, wow, what is this? A denim jacket from triple aught, you know? Um, And, uh, and then, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I get it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and there was certainly critical feedback sometimes, but the point isn't necessarily the feedback. And it was the fact that I was getting it in real time on, on a timeline that I never experienced, like (laughs) feedback. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But awesome. what were some of the what were some of the biggest opportunities that you found there? Maybe that you weren't expecting. Well, for starters, Triple Ot is if you if you open the website, you go, oh, okay, tactical brand, but it's not. It's it's not five eleven. It's not right. the classic, you know, like black cargo pants, like tactical brand the way you would think of one. It's not right. that. We do black cargo pants, yes. Um, we, I still say we. <laughs> No, I think of the brand as like family kind of thing, but really the opportunity, it wasn't about that. Like we, of course, we've got a bunch of ninjas, you know, seals and stuff who wear the product. Awesome. That definitely drew me to it. It drew me to it that we have federal agent, you know, FBI guys and stuff wearing it because that's back to my, my, my boyhood dreams of like, you know, completely. And also of doing important work. Let's not forget that, you know, John, my dad called in airstrikes. I design jackets. There's a part of me that wishes I was doing more meaningful work. We can talk about that later. So to get to associate with 
guys doing the meaningful work, you know, for me, it was also really cool. And the fact that they loved this product um, and wore it every day created opportunities for us. You don't wear cargo pants with knee pads every day if you're working in any sort of environment where you don't want to stand out, where you're the guy who you know, you, nobody wants, you don't look at me, you know, I don't want you looking at me. Yeah. So when I was getting to, when I got to triple out, it was an opportunity to move past the stuff that they were already very good at doing, you know, fleece and, and amazing, let's say tactical product for a moment mm-hmm. to into like, what is this? What are the other guys wearing? What are they wearing? Like Triple Out had already started to do denim. And so the mm-hmm. guys trying to blend in a certain city who were total ninjas, like didn't you didn't know they were, they but they had all their kit. Um, it was all organized, you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the jeans they're wearing look like jeans, but they actually had, you know, uh business in the front party in the rear, as I'm fond yeah, of saying. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Stuff going on with those jeans you didn't know about until the guys <laughs> tried to reach in for a magazine, a rifle magazine. Um <laughs> And it's so, but moving forward, it was like, okay, what do they, what do, what do not only those guys wear the rest of the days in the week, but what do we want from triple lot? What, what do I want if it's us made and I get to spec the best chambray or the best twills or the best denim or the best wool, like, what do we want with, yeah. or what are the guys who never want to look technical there or, or anything like that? Yeah. They still appreciate made in USA epic quality, like, deep consideration into feature set and finish. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's a button down shirt. That's, that's a tremendous quality. Like that's when I got there, that's when we kind of reinvented the bigger picture of what triple lot could be. It's a full lifestyle, you know, because you're dealing with people um, on, you're dealing with customers on the human personal level, you know, and what else do they want? Who are they? And you're trying to outfit for that whole, because I always think of also like when I look at triple lot, it's a lot of it to me is very, I don't want to say it's lifestyle. It's because you can pull it into your lifestyle very easily. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's absolutely performance functional pieces, but at the same time, you can still just wear them out on the street. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, but even a fully natural fibered, like I said, like a button down shirt or a t-shirt, oh, there's always a little something extra. And that's where, you right. know, for me, again, uh, we opened with authenticity, we'll close with authenticity. This is like, this stuff has to really be real. Yeah. It can't look like something that's designed to do something. It has to be yeah. really pure and and just highly functional first. And I think we, we did a very good job of combining functional with like elegance for lack of a better well. term. The the triple lot customer holds the brand to it. Mm, you know, that's true too. Yeah. When you have the kind of customer that is willing to fly in once a year for a big <laughs> warehouse sale, yeah, you know, and take part in events, uh, tactical events, and and whatnot as a com- it's a community. I mean, yeah. Brett yeah. and the team have put yeah, together a, a very cool community that makes amazing product, and it's it's hard work. It's yeah. not easy for them, and it's you know. Oh no, it's, it's, it's nearly impossible. Like, like I always joke around about talking people out of launching apparel brands, you know, even though they're paying me to help them do it. And it's like, you know, I I mean, I'm very serious about it. It is, this is not easy, you know, 
I've dreamed of having my own brand for 30 years and I still haven't done it because unfortunately I, I know a little too much now. And luckily it's the best time though to do it. The, the idea of trying to be Ralph, I wouldn't ever dream of doing, but there are other ways to do it now that are tremendously exciting where I can do what I wanted to do without having to like bet the farm. <laughs> Let's talk about, I mean, this is kind of an all in, you know, talking with Brett at Triple Lot. It, it, it's like these, you know, he's very committed that they're very committed and they've been doing it a long time and it, you have to be all in and, and yeah. super committed and super passionate. Um, now, um, kind of as we move into this piece into present day, um, I just kind of want to go, you know, skip stones over, um, you know, where you are now, you know, after triple lot, you went to VF for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then you, um, cause VF went through all, you know, especially with the North face moving and they went through a lot of yeah. shifts, COVID happened. Um, and then you went to life labs, which is, you know, a, a believe, you know, a startup. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, no, no risk, no reward. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I wanted to see like, um, you know, what are some of your thoughts about, I mean, this is kind of a broad question of, cause what's going on is we have these massive rapid changes technology is changing so much AI is coming into it. I mean, we're all talking about social media and, and all of um, our headaches with that um, and trying to manage our own careers, you know, with this volatility that is probably not going to let up. It's becoming the new normal. I want to see what, it, what is your take on that and how, um, how it's impacting you and um, how you're navigating your way through that. Well, you know, before COVID, I was already studying this stuff. Like it was, it was, it was post triple ought, but before sort of before the COVID landed though, I was looking at everything like if we're trying to build, I'll go, I'll just take it weird for a second. I, okay. I, I need fabric because for the moment we have fabric, if I'm going to go outside, I need to put fabric on my body. Okay. It needs to fit the basic shape of the human form and do its job for protecting me in those conditions, whatever those conditions are. Are they cold? Are they wet? Are is they mist? Is it wind? But the idea of having to, no one says it has to be stitched. No one says it has to be anything. It just needs to fit the criteria that I outlined earlier and mm. be desirable. So I was trying to go really deep there and step way back from it and be like, okay, what is the next generation of getting this body covering? <laughs> you know, yeah. if, if we take it down to the basics, you know, it has to be more than a poncho. It can't be a piece of fabric with a hole in it. Okay. <laughs> like it has to be we like ponchos. Yeah. So <laughs> right. we have ponchos. Yeah. So, right. no. So if I was thinking about technical product and how we go forward, like I, I was just doing a lot of thinking at the time and, and that far out dream of like, you know, I can't stand on a pedestal and have this thing sprayed onto me. And as it dries, it, it, it swells so that there's ease. Uh, We're not there yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that doesn't sound particularly clean or or desirable either. You know what I mean? But just just going outside, there's a whole slew of problems after yeah, there's a whole slew of washing problems. that off. And but, yeah. but just getting the daydreamer, like going back to like the basics, like what if what if we were starting from zero is sort of my question now. And I love sewing machines, but sewing is hard, and teaching people how to sew is hard. Um, and yet using machines for it entirely uh, and uh, totally and not having 
jobs anymore is kind of a downer. So it's like, mm-hmm. how do we bring back, how do we elevate craft? You know, that was one of the things that like made me so happy, even if it's just a dream, like how do you take sewing as a, as a concept out of the factory yeah. and as a factory job and make it something that's like, you're really genuinely proud of and that you're paid appropriately for and you take pride in it again, you know, the mm-hmm. way we do when we sit down and make something, we're not, okay, I curse when I sew all the time, it's hard, but like, I take real pride in what I made at the end, because I I know how hard it is. So that was one of the main things where I was like, okay, first and foremost, if it is sewing, because sewing works, how do we bring some real pride back to having a sewing job, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was all about other things, just about these constructions and using, you know, glue. I'm a huge fan of the, of the team at Bemis. Like guys, what are we doing? Like, how do we, is it easier to teach somebody how to glue than it is to teach them how to sew, you know, Mm -hmm. like stuff like that. Like Mm -hmm. what's the next generation of building garments because we are going to need them. Um, but I wanted, I just wanted, I want to find new ways forward, you know? Yeah. I was, I was thinking about that. Like what is, and and this is beyond the future of like, because there's so many factors to look at in the manufacturing, but what is the future of apparel design, you know, as a job, you know, as a role, because for a long time in my career, I mean, any of us as apparel designers, especially in the technical and performance, um, having a job, finding a new job was not hard. Um, it was quite yeah. easy. You know, it, there, there was true. only a few really good experts at this. Um, And we're seeing a shift in that from at all ages, all levels as companies shift and products shift and we're making fewer, better things and whatnot. And the, when I think just like you, when, when I was growing up, there wasn't really apparel design programs in school. Um, Mm -hmm. There was fashion design, right? There was fashion, but um, you, 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 my fashion design education did not prepare me for performance design. I learned that at, on the job and I used some of those skills from a fashion design degree. A lot of the people I worked with didn't have any education or degree in <laughs> apparel design. That's very common back then. And then we started having very intense degree programs of all these different types of of apparel merchandising, product accessories design, lots of different levels. Um, and we're seeing less need for all of that, um, as much as we did before, what is the future of apparel design? Like, how is it shifting? What do we need to look at beyond what you were just saying? I hope it's more young people buying sewing machines and heat presses and making their own stuff. I mean, I, I really do like I, as basic as that sounds. And, and I'm so grateful too, to the universities that I've worked with over the years who've presented great students and ultimately team members in many cases, you know, who, who are doing more than just, you know, croquis and fashion who, but who are actually, you know, students understand seam tape and understand Adobe Illustrator when they get to your doorstep. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) CSU uh, and more recently USU has an outstanding program like Chase and the Gang. They're doing great work. So they're preparing people for technical outerwear. I mean, this has been the era. This has been the last 20 years of X Games and snowboarding the Olympics. And like, oh, there's so much, there should be so much excitement around building technical apparel. And yet I still don't feel like I see quite as many candidates who are like hungry to do it. It's kind of strange, actually. Um, But going forward, like, 
I just, I love this idea. There will always be big brands. There'll always be the, ne- the necessity for, for giant stuff, but I would love people to, to think like a, you know, it's a, a village as opposed to a metropolis, like what mm-hmm. matters to me and my little group of, of, of friends, followers, customers, and just, you know, build, build what matters and not have yeah. to make stacks of anything go away because we just can't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Smaller scale and the craft of it. Yeah. And then everything's special. Like you're way less likely to throw something away. They, you know, the person who made it, you know, like uh, even if you, even if it's not in style, even if it's super, super cutting edge streetwear and it's out of style, you're, you're, you know, you're less likely to just get rid of it. If you, if you know the person who, who dreamt it up and made it happen for you. So there's just some basic, Again, maybe it's a naive, like sort of idealist sort of view, but I don't think it is. I think we're going to start to see a lot more of this like craft mattering, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think we've been bigger than Etsy, smaller than VF. (laughs) Yes. I, but I, and I do think it's, I think it's been coming for a while because craft, you know, always, always kind of comes back because people need to work with their hands and they need to be local and they need to connect with each other. And that's where we're at now. Well, on the other flip side, we have virtual reality and I've seen, you know, some of the people that I've known or have started working on um, virtual products, yeah, designing yeah, products that. that there will never actually physically be made. I love that. I'm a huge proponent of that. I really believe in 3d. Um, I'm working on some product that's about to drop uh, soon that I can, you know, that I knew just enough Clo. In fact, I did it this way. I was like, I know Clo just well enough to do this, pant, but I want to do it. I want it to be conceptualized in such a way that almost anyone could sew it too, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool. I design anything and with a pencil, but like to sit down and my, my limitations within Clo, you know, I could get just this far. Mm-hmm. Um, what really led to an interesting, um, you know, reductionist, but smart reductionist really like, um, it feels like a little bit of a master stroke, this thing, I hate to say it, but it re I'm so proud of this, of this thing that I took from one thing that I sort of was traditional and into something that's totally not traditional and used 3d to build the initial uh, patterns for it. Um, and now it's a functioning thing I've been testing for two years. It's absolutely awesome. So that's so cool. Um, but this yeah. idea of, of building things that are purely digital and you sell them to a stylist once and then they go away yeah. and nobody gets hurt. Um, sign me up. <laughs> no, seriously, like that is yeah. so cool. That is yeah. so cool. Yeah. And people haven't, I mean, um, 3D, um, you know, designing in 3D for apparel has been something that has been very slow to take off because yeah, it's very right. difficult, you know, yeah. having, I, I have an engineering parents, so I grew up drawing, you know, 3D and architectural drawings and whatnot. It's a different mindset. It's easier to do that, but boy, you know, the, the, the Clo and the other 3D programs that are out there, it, we've been waiting for them. It's just they're very difficult to get the fabrics. They, they are, but it's different. You know, I think I, I think your parents would have said uh, if they'd been at a drafting table their whole life, they would say Illustrator's difficult. But if yep. you but if you started with Illustrator, the way I'm thinking of one of my team members right now is an absolute ninja. Former team members ninja in Clo. Uh, you know, she knows how to use Illustrator, of course, because she came in midway, you know, when you know Clo and when you start to see the matrix there and and it's just second nature, it's, it's unbelievable. And, you know, of course the fabricant and some of these other design houses are just, it's black magic. 
Yeah. I don't know how they're doing what they're doing. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> it gets wired into your brain. Oh, it's so sick. Yeah, it's totally, totally. I don't know how much we'll see it applied yet. It's hard to imagine how much people will spend for clothes, for their avatar, for their, you know, for their, their, you know, alternate life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the idea of just even for social and stuff to just be able to do something and show it. And here I was at the, yeah. at the Met Gala, but I wasn't really there. Like yeah. that kind of stuff is sick. I mean, I hate to say for, for, for being judged, uh, my son, you know, my 11 year old son who loves VR, he spends probably half his life in that space has already yeah, designed yeah. clothes and gone to trade shows inside, okay. yeah. you know, awesome. and has friends. I mean, their, their brains are getting wired for this world. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. And, and yeah. I've said to him, I said, you are going to be the one that really starts to design this world and make it something because he's not going to not live in it. We can easily go, well, VR, I can take it or leave it. I know how to live yeah. outside of that. It's so important to them and their community that they're yeah. going to continue to grow it. Yeah. Well, and I'm grateful for it too. I mean, just the, the, that we we have to kind of embrace it. I mean, look at how it saved our kids' lives during COVID and stuff. Like, you know, imagine if we, like, we didn't have, we barely had an Atari. Imagine being stuck inside for six months. (laughs) So so I'm super, super grateful to, to all of that stuff. And I do believe in it. It's just, you're, you're right. Hate to say it a little bit generationally. It's hard. I still value being outside more than anything else. But I, the idea of, um, and, and of, you know, experiences that for me are real world, even though I love gaming, I love motor racing online. Um, it's, uh, it's, it, yeah, it'll be a minute before we figure out to the, ex- what, to what extent, um, we go from real world cut and sew to buying half of my clothes online to wear online on my avatar. It's like wild. It's going to happen. I mean, it'll, it's sure to pop, but we've been talking about it for you know, 20 years. And I think, uh, you know, we'll see where it leads. Yeah, we'll see. So what do you see for Collier Brands? And, you know, where would you like to put your focus, your experience now? You know, we're talking about mentoring and and helping the next generations and whatnot. That seems to be kind of where we're at is not just how to pass down, but um, how to lead in a different way. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you nailed it. Like nothing's the, the thing that I'm the most grateful for unbelievable experiences and travel and certainly a degree of pride of seeing my work on the mountain or on the street or whatever, but the ability to have had opportunities to provide opportunities to others has been for sure the biggest takeaway for me. If I could wake up every day and do three mentoring sessions with people and have that be a part of my like uh, income, let's say I would do it. I would love it. It's so fulfilling to me. It's so fulfilling to me that I do it for free. You know, it's like, but if that could be a part of my actual, you know, daily uh, regimen and life, I would love to do more of that. Um, And because I think it has mattered to people. Absolutely. Um, but as far as brand and the work, like uh, today I consult across multiple brands and I love that because I mentioned earlier this staying interested in it and loving it. And as hard as it is, why not learn something every day? And, mm-hmm. you know, recently I've had a couple of different projects where it's like, wow, I've never worked with this material. I don't know where to get it. I am going to have to find a factory, you know, like stuff like that, but it's product I've never done. So, um, and so you're looking at new feature sets, you know, I can do ski really, I could launch a new ski brand tomorrow. And I really believe I could bring something brand new to market. That would be 
compelling. Um, the market doesn't really need it, but that didn't stop Montech from showing up and turning the industry upside down mm-hmm. with a direct consumer brand that people are buying and loving. Yeah. Um, but I don't necessarily want to start a ski brand tomorrow because I really know how to do ski and I love it. But like these opportunities to do some of the things I'm doing now that I wish I could talk about are awesome you know, because they're brand new to me. They challenge me again. In terms of my own product, it will be all about that model I outlined earlier. It's like smaller than than, than triple lot because I, I know too much, you know, like I know that's how I know how hard that is. But the opportunity to make like a really pure statement in the market of what I believe and the culmination of 25 years of tremendous care and like interest and curiosity and like still trying to find <clears throat> new ways forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it will be about when you see it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's the thing that strikes me, you know, in talking about your whole pathway in your career is not just like the constant reinvention, but the constant curiosity, the constant learning, the constant awareness of, of, um, as you're gathering experiences and realizing the knowledge that you have, but looking forward and going, oh, but I haven't had, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. That's interesting. Let's try that. Like, and that's a lesson down to everyone, you know, behind you that you always keep that, you know, that curiosity, that's what keeps us young. That's what keeps us growing, you know, as opposed to like, oh, I'm here now, I'm going to sit on the top of my mountain and just tell you all what to do on the contrary like right absolutely on the contrary like you dream of getting to this place in your life where you have enough freedom to actually flex and not not worry about what it what it is this am i on market it's like no this i this is my pure statement i think i'm on i'm on my market that's what i want and i believe that those people are out there who like appreciate you know i always talk about nigel Kayborn and errolson hugh acronym being on totally different ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. but if you appreciate quality and you appreciate vision and you appreciate execution you can appreciate both guys even though their work is completely completely opposite of each other yeah yeah and we're entering a new phase of what is important to people you know what's yeah. what the market wants has changed a lot yeah. and is and i think in in, a, in the right way I think if, as long as we tackle it and keep going and do what we're doing on this more human level, um, kind of the last question I have for you is, is our community question of what do, what do you think we need to build community among the creative industries, among us as all, all of us as creatives, what do we need to kind of galvanize our community and drive these new ideas forward? Well, I would love to see, a. I wish we were together more, like, mm-hmm. honestly, mm-hmm. there's, there, uh, there are awesome events, you know, there are big ones, you know, we're, we're all going to see each other in a few weeks at, at uh, Functional Fabric Fair, and that's great. But just on the daily, I, I think about this a lot in Boulder. It's like, why am I not sitting in a room more often with people from uh, my space would be great, but really all, all over, like, yeah. And I've even thought about trying to do something about it in Boulder here where it's like, I wish I was sitting in a building with an artist and a metal worker and, you know, uh, me and a couple of uh, folks that I work with, whether they're on my team or I'm on theirs. It's like, you know, like that kind of dynamic, the daily dynamic, um, especially after th- three years of of, of Zoom, yeah. um, 
Oh my God, like a little FaceTime together is great. And we, you know, I've always, when we've had virtual teams, as soon as we could start to meet in person again, it just made so much difference. Yeah. So I guess I'm trying to figure that out, especially when so many of us are hired guns, like it can be a bit lonely, you know, doing your thing by yourself or, or remote so often. And so I would love to find a way to get together more on the regular, like a traveling road show of, you know, people you don't know from South Carolina who are going to be passing through Boulder. It's like, oh my God, let's do this. You know, like let's, let's make it happen on a more regular basis. I, I do really miss that. There's an idea right there. And I think you're speaking to the fact that, that so many of us now are, I don't know, I say hired guns. I mean, we are, um, but more independent. And I think that's going to be more and more the norm since we all can be as well but yeah. the isolation and the inability or you're the the less um chance to connect uh, we have to create yeah. the more which is what we yeah. are working on doing you know with with structure society and the podcast is one way to just connect without actually physically connecting and sharing the story um but still meeting at certain events you know wherever those we we've we've committed to wherever there is a creative community gathering we should be there and having a place to gather um yeah. as a starting point and like let's see where it needs to go from there because everything has shifted how we run events how we go to trade shows, what trade shows exist, how we meet up with our teams at jobs, that's all changed. And so we have to reinvent everything, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're doing our best, right? Well, we are, we are for sure. And I think we, as in, as creatives and people who care about this work, I think we do a pretty good job at like finding ways to come together and communicate on the regular and share um, but I think there's the next level down is getting, getting that sort of level of care to, to consumers, um, yeah. because it seems like the thing that's missing the most is like, there's all this great marketing being done. And at the same time, I still think, uh, there's an opportunity to help people understand m- more deeply why we care so deeply about what we do yeah. and why to invest in better things. Like we were saying earlier, it's like, mm-hmm. I really think that's the biggest opportunity on the market level um, is, you know, how do you make them care? That's that people who've worked with me. have heard me say that a million times, but how do you get people to care about what we do as much as we do so that they'll enjoy it and, and experience it the way, the way the, the, the creatives themselves do. Cause yeah. it, it matters. I really think it matters. It does. And nothing replaces the in-person experience. Yeah. Connecting with the product, with the people, with the people that make that. And so that needs to happen because people are what matters. And the reason we make product is to, for the people and to make things better. It's not for us. I mean, I know I said earlier on my market is me or whatever, but it's like, but that's, but that, that's a pure statement in something that's very, very personal. Um, But the outcome should still be that whoever whoever yeah. gets involved has that has this amazing experience, you know. Exactly. So yeah, so that's our. I think that's our next big, that's our next big opportunity, and it's right there. It's so obvious to me. Um, so how do we tackle it? Well, I got chills with that. <laughs> it is. It's right there. Sounds fun. Where would you like to put your focus and experience? you know, today and going forward into the future? 
Well, I think the main thing is that I, it's, it can't just be about my career anymore. You know, like I've, I'm so grateful for all this. Like I've said 10 times, I mean, this, this industry has been wonderful to me. And I, I think despite all our challenges, I feel like it's, I'd be remiss if I didn't try to find ways for others to have an experience with this industry the way I have, you know, and to, to allow us to keep designing whatever form that takes. Like we can't have the challenges of the world or the economy or whatever stop us from being creative. So, you know, let's find a way forward. And I mean, of course, this is a business. This is hopefully it's a collision of art and commerce, you know, but it is a business. So we have to find ways to make money from it. We, we have to survive. Um, And, and I, I just, I want to be a part of finding ways to do things differently, do them better, do them in a cleaner way, but make sure that that others have the opportunity to 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 enjoy working in this industry that is hard, but one that we love so much, you know? Yeah. And what does that look like? What are, you know, because there are so many uh platforms, new platforms, new ideas, new ways to to do that. You know, what does that look like? What could that look like? Well, I hope it's I hope it, I just, I like the idea of things being smaller, smaller, but effective, you know, efficient, um, um, profitable and, you know, meaningful in some way. Like nobody has the perfect balance figured out. I I always say when I'm talking about sustainability, uh, you know, working like when I was, you know, leading these sustainability efforts, it's like any, any, we, we have to applaud any effort, but this is one area where more is more, you know, like Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. have to keep pushing, you have to keep evolving and leveling up. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I feel, I feel like there are opportunities in how we speak to the consumer. I feel like there are opportunities in just, just starting with the desire to not waste instead of the historical desire to just make more, you know? And um, I think you can be profitable. I think you can make really lasting, beautiful product. And I, but I, I think if you're very careful and don't let, you know, let it get out of control, you're able to do those things and do them in a smart, clean way that, you know, where, where again, everybody benefits, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And getting, um, you know, I think personally, I feel like the next generations, the younger people, they're coming into this industry and any work industry with a whole new mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, of what's important to them. They're, it, it feels like they're born into a more dire world. There's more um, at stake, more things are urgent. Um, and they have a really fresh view on things. Like they have a lot of energy. I've found as, as, as you know, we all get older, we get a bit more jaded and um, try to maintain that positive. And those of us who are forward future thinking really have a tendency to kind of latch onto that hope and positivity. Yeah, yeah right? you're right. I mean, it's a hundred percent true. And I'm keeping again, back to that sort of awareness of, of how people are doing as a parent or as a friend or whatever. Yeah. Like I, I feel like I, I try very, I don't feel like it. I try very hard to be tuned in to how people are doing. And I have to say like for all of the, stuff that we're dealing with right now as a world and as humans and all of that, I see so much exuberance and hope and like an amazing energy. It's why I love hanging out with people of all ages because, you know, I I do see so much optimism and, 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 you know, keep the dream alive, like clinging to the dream, like doing whatever it takes to like, 
you know, find that joy every day and whatever form it takes. Um, young, younger than me, older than me, like I have to say the, the energy feels pretty good out there, but yeah. when you, but when you get down to brass tacks, the nuts and bolts of like, which brand do I want to go after? You know, and then if I get in there interviewing and all of that stuff, that's where I do. I feel like I do have a lot to, to contribute. Um, yeah. And so I try to pay that stuff forward as, as often as I can. And, you know, just another not parting thought, but a little bit full circle back to you. Like we are, we are all brands. We all really are. And that doesn't come naturally to, to, I don't know that everyone necessarily gets it, how, how important it is to like, treat yourself like a small business, you know, treat your messaging like a small business because it's, it's kind of product. Um, It's definitely um, messaging. It is definitely consistency, you know, and then, then trust. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the same if I'm selling leather goods on Etsy, or if I'm trying to, you know, find my way into a a big company or find my way through any company, you know, those things are, are critical, but it's so funny. Hate to say it, the product's important, but there's a lot of great products. So you really have to ace all, all your other, uh, all your other uh, bits as well. Yeah. Really nicely said. And when I talked about, you know, you already having that brand identity, I think that that's something about um, knowing who you are, who you want to become, what you stand for, you know, what drives you, what you're passionate about, those are the things that all brands have to do. And it's what each one of us has to do. Because when you come into work for any company, whether you're start, starting your own working for yourself or you're, or you're working for somebody else, um, that's really important. People want to know what you stand for. Not, like you said, there's, there's a lot of great designers. There's a lot of great product. But when it comes down to it, it's who you are as an individual that makes a difference because you're completely unique. And I think that comes through in your whole life story, you know, from banner elk to snowboarding, to cars, to, you know, your, your dad in the military and like, um, it, all of it, all the way through fashion, you know, you see the through line and you see each shift is an addition and it starts to make up the bigger picture of, of JJ Collier and Collier brands. And I think it's a great example for other, you know, especially younger designers and anybody of any age to, to look at and to follow is look at inside you, what's in your heart, what do you love? And you create, um, you know, that for yourself around you and that creates your brand. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I mean, I think this was central to uh, our getting together for this is just to talk about how much is changing um, that's outside of our control and how much of that is just really natural evolution in some way, whether on the individual level or on an industry level or whatever. But, you know, a lot like product marketing, you know, there's so much of this stuff that we do as an industry, any industry where it's like, hey, look at what our product is and how great it is. Instead of like remembering that this is for somebody else and it's like, and, and, and speaking to how that thing will benefit the, you know, the, the actual audience, mm-hmm. you know? And so I've, I've had to similarly kind of evolve the messaging. It's like, 
it used to be about going out and t- talking about, I was asked to talk about it and then talking about what I do as a designer, you know, and lately I've totally had to, had to pivot and, and bounce over here and, you know, think past the pocket as I've sort of been fond of saying and, hmm. and share and, and, you know, be visible. I really haven't been visible at all. And on social and stuff, I've totally had to pivot and go, okay, it's not about me talking about how great this particular design is, but instead it's JJ Collier as the thought leader and and bringing the historical experience into a new light, not for my benefit, but hopefully for whoever's watching, you know, asking them how they're, how they're feeling, how they're responding to things. And if they believe that some of the things I think are important are, or, and not that I need them to, but is this a cool conversation we're having, you know? And I got, I love that stuff because we can talk about design all day, but I'm so much more curious about what makes people tick. Yeah. Yeah. Completely, completely. And I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head there with um, the behind the scenes, the hidden. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, And that's one of the reasons why I started structure to begin with was to bring all of us who are behind the scenes out to the forefront a little bit more to pay more attention to connect and, and see, you know, the contribution that, we all were making through the eyes of each other that yeah. maybe we knew or didn't know or couldn't tell the impact we were making. Um, right. And so yeah. to bring that forward and be able to, um, you know, bring ourselves out forward, especially us Gen Xers, but we're very much a, um, you know, behind the scenes, we want to stay humble and realizing that coming forward and showing yourself is not about ego. It's about sharing and it's about helping others and connecting with others. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what you're speaking to. And when the, when the uh, wonderful videos that you've been making and, and posting about your experiences or your product or your just what you love, yeah. you know, um, it is different though, to be the talking, to do the talking head yeah. was really a departure for me. I'm like, Oh gosh, like I, cause I know sometimes I scroll right past this stuff. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to do the talking head thing. But yeah. I hoped, I hoped that, that enough people knew uh, that my approach to, to apparel design to oversimplify was hopefully a little different and hopefully interesting enough that, um, that they would, you know, want to give me a few seconds of their time on the, uh, on the, you know, yeah. sort of the theoretical stuff as well. Cause I consider them both equally important. It's hard to have, it's hard to have one without having thought through the other. Yeah. Well, I love seeing it. And the response I've seen has been great, nothing but positive. And I, and I've heard people say more of this more. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I really, so, God, you know, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that too. So yeah, yeah I just feel like that's, that's an important piece of the, of the, the call your brands as a, as a business going forward. And, um, and so, yeah, it's just really exciting uh, as a, as just as a closing thought. I mean, Honestly, I feel like we've we've only just begun. You know, I I talked a little bit earlier about what if we were starting from zero, and I think that's really a good way for people coming into this to come at it. Mm, um, yeah. There's a lot of great rules. You know, I love the rules um, and the classical experiences and proportion and all of that. But what if we were starting from zero? Yeah, that's great. It's a great place to start. It's a great place to end. You have been listening to Unstructured, the podcast from Structure Society. If you enjoyed this episode, please download, share, like, subscribe, 
and add your thoughts and suggestions in the comments. Also, please consider a Substack paid subscription to help us bring even more meaningful content and connection points to you and our creator community. Here you'll find articles and news, as well as the podcast and additional content. We cannot grow without you. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.